Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. It's good stuff, isn't it? Thank you, worship team, for leading us. And guys, I hope that you had an opportunity to worship the risen Jesus. I hope that you have a relationship such that you know he's expecting you to come into his presence with praise. That's what we as his children are supposed to do. And so today, as we open up our Bibles, we're going to finish up this series, A Destination Worth Investigation, What the Bible Says About Heaven. And uh, to appreciate heaven, last week we kind of had to dive down into the subject of hell. Because we don't really, can't really appreciate all that heaven is, all that heaven offers us until we understand what it is that heaven has delivered us from. And so last week we learned from Luke chapter 6 a, a view of two people, one in heaven, one in hell, in that relationship. We saw that immediately when someone dies outside of Jesus, they begin to be tormented in this place that was not built for men, but it was built for the demon, uh, for the devil and his demons, and we realize that we begin to be tormented if we're lost immediately upon death. We found out that the reservation is a room with a view, a view of everything that this person missed by walking away or rejecting Jesus' grace gift. We also learned that the room is a smoking room and everything burns eternally and continually. We realize that there's no room service. Uh, the rich man asked for just a drop of water to ease his pain. There is no room service and there is no uh, comforts of, a, of, of, of the heaven, of what heaven offers. There's no room reviews to warn friends. Don't make this your eternal abode. And then lastly, we found out there's no checkout. Once, once you are checked in, you stay there and then there, there is no way out. Well, we learned and, we, and I pointed out that there's three good reasons among others of why we appreciate looking at and learning about what God has rescued us from in this place called hell. One was that we have a new appreciation for our free deliverance found in Jesus. Two, we have a motivation to live a life of gratitude for what Jesus has done in saving us. And thirdly, we should develop a compassion for those around us in our family, at work, our neighbors, in the, it, where we go each and every day, that they may not have received the grace gift to deliver them from this place called hell. And when it comes to heaven and hell, there's a lot of ideas. Samuel Clemens, also known as Mark Twain, was once asked to weigh in on his views about heaven. Mark Twain said, I would rather not talk about heaven or hell because I don't want to say anything disparaging because I'm confident that I have friends in both places. And you know, it's true. We have friends in both places. But listen, it, a lot of that is on us. And we don't have to have friends that spend eternity there. We need to be witnesses boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus and what he has done for us. So in this mini-series called A Destination Worth Investigation, we've seen that heaven is a really a big deal. Both physically and spiritually, it's just a big deal. Secondly, we found out that heaven is a real place. Last week, heaven is a choice away. Today, an encouraging word to finish up this mini-series, heaven is perfect. Now tell the person next to you, near you, six feet, wherever they're at, say, hey, heaven is perfect. Just go ahead and tell them. 
Because this is encouraging. This should encourage us as believers. And, and we need some encouragement in the world we live in. And so God knows where we live. God knows everything we experience. And, and I think heaven should be an encouragement to us, those of us that have been saved, born again, uh, adopted into God's kingdom through Jesus' his Son. So what makes heaven perfect? It is the abode of God. God is perfect. God is perfect, and therefore where he is, his perfection will be found, and heaven is a perfect place. Today we're going to see seven things that you will have uh, in heaven. Seven things for us that we can look forward to. The first one, number one, is relief. You will have relief in heaven. And when I say that, you have relief from what? Well, we're going to talk about that dissect it a little bit in Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 19 we learn this for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God for the creation was subjected to futility not of its own not of its own will but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, the author of Romans says this. He says, all of creation is longing to be made right. Not just we. Everything is, is longing for relief. You, you see, in Genesis 3, after only two chapters, will you get me a handheld microphone? I don't know what's going on with this. You want me to just grab one of these? Okay. At the fall, now sound like a, now sound like a rock star, 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 star. All right. You just bear with me. So here, at the, fall, at the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, we have two good chapters, two chapters of perfection, and that's all it took. And then Mr. Crafty shows up in the garden, mankind fell, and I want you to know, based on this verse and throughout God's eternal counsel, it didn't just affect the human soul. All of creation fell. The birds, the trees, the, the flowers, uh, nature, weather, it all fell. It's all corrupted. It's all under the curse. And so this verse says, and since that time, all of creation, including us, we long for something better. We long that there's something else out there. And, and, and sometimes, you know, maybe before you were saved, you, there was something in you that would hear something about heaven or uh, something would be mentioned about an eternal state or something. And we would ponder man in our mind because we we, we wanted there to be something else out there, something better. And for those who suppress that, for those who reject that, they're simply acting out in disobedience. Because listen, Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has placed eternity in our heart. We come to this world. We arrive on this planet with something inside of us that says there's something better, that says there's something bigger, there's something out there. Now, we can press back against it, but in that, it's just disobedience. And Romans 8 says that everything is crying out. Revelation 21, 
It helps us understand what it is that, he's, that we will find relief from in heaven. It says in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings and he will live among them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them now listen to verse 4 and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will not exist anymore or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have now ceased to exist and the one seated on the throne said look I'm making all things new. Now, that should encourage us as Christians. Because if you've cried over something in the last 12 months, just say, I have. See, it's common. We, 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 have, this, we have difficulties in our life. And they come in different flavors. But all of those flavors of difficulty that causes pain and suffering and mourning and crying, they will all be wiped away. He says, look, I'm going to make everything new and everything new will be made without any of the brokenness john chapter 21 verse 18 talks about how suffering comes with our aging by the older you get i'm gonna be honest with you i can tell you this i'll be 58 in, in next week maybe it's this week i'm so old i can't remember okay i'm gonna be 58 and uh, as i get older i hurt more you know what i used to do i can't do anymore and when i fall down grab don't you the 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 uh, physicists of this world are wrong about one thing. Gravity is not a constant. How do I know this? Because I fall harder. I, fall, I land harder. It pulls me down faster. It's harder to get back up. Gravity is getting stronger on me every day. And, and so as I get older, I realize more pain and more suffering. Now, listen to what John says. This is incredibly sad but true. It says, Verily, uh, very truly I tell you, when you were younger... You used to fasten your own belt and go to, do, to, to go and do whatever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten your belt around you and take you where you don't wish to go. And that's what we have to look forward to. We get old, we go from being self-sufficient to reliant on other people and they take us places we don't even want to go. And, and that's real. I, I told you a couple weeks ago, my dad is 81 and he's in late stage of Alzheimer's, which is a terrible, terrible disease, which I'm encouraged because in heaven, that will pass away too. But my brother and I took him to Etowah County Hospital for psychological evaluation so they could get his medications adjusted so he could be in a nursing home. He's still there. Now, it was, it was a terrible day for me and my brother, and we took him there and left him there. We haven't seen him since because there's no visitation. And, and this scripture is right. We get to a place where people take us where we really didn't want to go. And, and so there's this thing that's broken about our world. And, and you and I, as participants in this world, we experience those things. But there is a new heaven and a new earth that's going to provide relief from all of that. One of the greatest books on the subject of heaven is a book called Heaven by a guy named Randy Alcorn. And he writes this in his book. Nothing is more often 
misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We that we try to satisfy this misdiagnosis with sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate degree, a spouse, a new car, a boat, a summer home, when we really, what we really want is the person that we were made by and for, Jesus, and the place we were made to be, heaven. Heaven will not only provide relief to us personally, but to all others that we know who are surrounded, uh, who have received the grace gift of Jesus. And that leads me to point two. What else will heaven offer us as believers? Heaven will offer us relationships. Relationships. We'll see other people. The Bible says we will, we will know as we are known and we will be known. And so we'll have relationships. Those people before us who have already gone to heaven, those people who come after us, we will have relationships with those. In, in, in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I shared this a couple of weeks ago about why I think all babies go to heaven. Not a lot of scripture about that, but I truly believe it. Dave, King David had lost his baby. He was born out of wedlock in an adulterous relationship. And the baby got sick and was dying, and he mourned and fasted and prayed, and the baby still passed away. And so as soon as the baby passed away, he told his servants, he said, bring me some, some beverage and bring me some food. Uh, and, and they asked him, they said, well, when your baby was sick, you mourned and prayed and fasted, and now your baby's died, and you're ready to eat again. And he made this, this, this great comment in verse 23 of 2 Samuel 12, but now my son is dead. Why should I fast? Am I able to bring him back at this point? I will go to him, but he cannot return to me. You see, in that statement, David knew. He was a man after God's own heart. He had keen insights to God that many people, most people never experienced. And yet he knew his son had gone on to heaven and one day he would be with him. So in heaven, it's encouraging when we think about relationships that will once again be united and restored. I was thinking about, and, and you have them too, when you're growing up, maybe people who were instrumental in your faith journey. People who have encouraged you along the way. I, I remembered one guy when I was a kid. His name was Mr. Pickle, and he was about 85 years old. And you know when you're a little kid, if you're over 50, you might as well be 85 years old. You remember that? And, and I remember, remember Mr. Pickle would sing in the choir. Well, he stood in the choir. I don't know that he was singing. But the girl that played the organ at the time, you know, they have a volume pedal. And boy, she had a heavy foot. I mean, she would just sour down on that and blow that organ out. And he would stand in the choir loft with both fingers in his ears like that. We used to laugh at him. But, but that same man would encourage me and my brothers. He would come up to us and pat us on the back, give us a piece of juicy fruit chewing gum. You remember the juicy fruit people in your church? Give us a piece of chewing gum and tell us that he appreciated us being in church. He would just encourage us. And I believe he, truly believe he's in heaven. And I have a lot of those people that, I, that when I was growing up, they were older than me, and they encouraged me in my life. I have grandparents who loved me in Jesus' name. I had aunts and uncles, Kendra's dad. I get to be reunited and have relationship with them. And listen, but it's bigger and better than we knew before because it's separated from all of the sin, all of the brokenness, all of the hurt, all of the difficulties, all of the baggage of this life. All of that's removed, and we will have relationship with those people. I have friends that are in heaven that have passed away since I've been here. 
six years ago. I got to thinking about J.D. and John and Willis and Cheryl and Buck and Chuck. Great guys who, who loved me and encouraged me. And the Lord took them home. They just beat me to where I'm going. But one day, we'll have relationship again. A friend of mine told me just not long ago, he's in his late 70s, and he says, you know, as I get older, he said, heaven gets a little sweeter because I don't have many friends here now. They've all gone on to heaven. You know, it, it, it is true. When we realize those people that we love that are there, that one day we'll be reunited with them. I was reading, studying for this message, and I ran across a survey and the results were found in the Ladies' Home Journal. Now, just for the record, I don't read Ladies' Home Journal. I just read this survey from Ladies' Home Journal. And they surveyed a bunch of people, a bunch of uh, women, and they said, uh, who do you most look forward to seeing again in heaven after you see Jesus? 31% of them said they hoped to see their mother. 16% said they hoped to see their father. This was interesting. Only 10% said they looked forward to seeing their spouse. I don't know if maybe they thought their spouse went to hell. That's why they didn't want to see them, because if they see them, they're with them. I don't know, okay? But I thought that was odd. They want to see their mother, and that's real. That's legitimate. They want to see their father, but not too worried about the spouse. <laughs> they spent long enough with here. Seemed like an eternity here, maybe. I don't know. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some more insight about the relationships that will be restored once we get to heaven, okay? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, there's other people that we didn't necessarily have personal, physical relationship with here on earth. But when we're in heaven, we will. Now, if you read Hebrews, you, you, you realize that they give us the, the, the hall of faith, those people of uh, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, man, that we're looking forward to Jesus. And I was thinking about it. You know, it really will be cool one day in heaven to have a conversation, a little sit down with Abraham. <laughs> I just think that's kind of cool. I think it's cool. I look forward to meeting Moses. You know, Moses had an incredible life and wrote the first five books of the Bible. I, I just think he's, he's an amazing biblical character that one day we will meet him, okay? I, Joseph, Joseph had an incredible life. I look forward to meeting Joseph. I was thinking about him. Noah, what an incredible guy. Job, these people are, and one day we will be with them physically for eternity. Now, I know there's going to be billions of people but it's going to be different. I think we'll truly know all of these people. And then more our contemporaries. I look forward to hanging out with Billy Graham, Billy Sunday. I look forward to hanging out with Adrian Rogers. He only died probably 12 years ago, but he was incredibly instrumental in my life. I look forward to meeting people like Ravi Zacharias, people who have, they didn't even know me, but they invested in me. And one day I get to look them in the face and say, I'm one of the guys. That when you were speaking, that when you wrote that book, that it moved me, that it, that it challenged me to a new level in my relationship with Jesus. And number three, in heaven, we will have riches. Now, we don't 
like to talk about this in church because riches is, is a bad word. Wealth is a bad word in the church. It's not a bad word in God's kingdom economy, but we have distorted it and we've made it a bad word. You know, after all, money is evil. That's what the Bible says. That's what we say. It does not say that. Let me clear that up. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of the wrong thing, the wrong priority, that's where the evil is at, okay? And I want you to know that in heaven, we will have, not access to, we will have riches. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, he says, you as a child of God have an inheritance, okay? You are a, an heir to the riches that God has. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that the kingdom has, everything that heaven is, Everything that God is is uh, that that that, uh, that God has manufactured and He owns. You have access to that once you're in heaven, and and so in Romans eight, listen what it says. It says the Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children, and if we are His children, then we are heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him for I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us did you get what that said <clears throat> it says we are children of God now th that needs to sink in everybody that needs to sink in. I had somebody about eight months ago say, well, we need to love everybody because we're all God's children. Let me just clear that up. No, we are not. All people are not God's children. All people are God's creation. God desires, I believe, all people to become children. But people are not children of God until they are adopted into the kingdom of God through Jesus, his son, and his sacrifice upon a cross. And when we say, when, sometimes we read over this. We say, we, we read it and we say, uh, our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. We can read that just like I read it. Often that's what we do. And it has no value, no weighted value. Listen to me, church. If you are born again, if the true and living God has adopted you into his family, if he has given you a new birth through Jesus, if he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise, you are a child of the most high God. You see, we live in a world that has, has brutally uh, detracted and redefined the idea, the word God. When this is talking about God in his word, he's talking about the one and only capital G God the true and living, self-sustaining, self-existing, eternal God. 
that God, not all of these lowercase g gods that you'll hear sometimes people say, well, I just thank God and their life lives, their, their life is just lived ungodly as it could be. They don't know God often. That's not what we're talking about. The one who whispered everything into existence, the one who is eternal, that God, that abundant, magnificent, awesome, majestic, holy God calls you his son and his daughter. That should stir us, man. That should get us motivated to live for him. Now, Matthew 6, Jesus addresses riches, and he tells us about riches that we can acquire. Listen to what he says. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and devouring insect destroy, <clears throat> and where thieves break in and steal. But accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and devouring insect do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did, did, you, did you pick up on that line that says, accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven? Now that's pretty wild. I, I want you to know something, church. How you live this life for Jesus affects how you will live the next life with Jesus. I want you to understand that. Now don't get me wrong. He's not talking about doing great things so you can be saved. He's talking about doing great things because you're saved. You see, when he adopted you, when he paid the price to ransom you out of the grips of the enemy destined to a place called hell, you've been bought with a price. He rescued you not just so you don't go to hell. He rescued you to empower the purpose and plan that he has in your life. He wants to use you in his kingdom agenda. And when we do that, the word says we accumulate riches in heaven. Now that even, sometimes that, 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 that kind of cuts, rubs, rubs the cat the wrong way. You know, it's like it, we don't like accepting it because it almost sounds like we're, we're all about trying to get stuff from God. He said, Jesus said, when we do what we're supposed to do, we accumulate treasures in heaven. Now, let me tell you the greatest treasure that you can accumulate in heaven. You ready? It's really the only thing. Did you know you can take something with you when you go to heaven? Yeah. It's those people who you lead to Jesus and they get saved. Those people who follow your lifestyle, a holy lifestyle, committed, sold out to Jesus. Those you witness to, those that, that you encourage and help along their journey to the place where they get saved, you, take, you get part of that. You get rewarded for that. I remember my dad, I've shared this before, we asked him why, why my Uncle James had all the money. And uh, my dad said, I guess God trusts him more with the money. He said, but you know, at the end of the day when life is over, can't take any money with you when you go. You can only take those that you have led to Jesus. I have three brothers, and he said, you know what I want to take to heaven when I go? You four boys. You're the, you're the number you're one, two, three, and four on my list. If I, if I get that right, nothing else really matters. You know what? He had it right. He hit a grand slam on that. In fact, it is. I never thought about it. It's a grand slam. All four of us are born again, headed to heaven. He did his job well. And so it's important that we understand that we can accumulate 
treasures in heaven. In a world that longs for wealth, in a world that plans for wealth, in a world that labors for wealth, in a world that cheats for wealth, steals for wealth, and now even wants to distribute the wealth, heaven is a place of perpetual wealth. It just goes on and on and on. There's never a recession in heaven. There's never a stock market crisis in heaven. There is never a depletion of funds. It is perpetual wealth for eternity. So what does this wealth even look like in heaven? Because it's good to know to get a... I'm a tangible guy. I'm a vision guy. I like to see things. What does the wealth of heaven look like? Jesus told us in the book of Revelation... In Revelation chapter 21, in verse 21, he tells us two incredible things. Now, he tells us a whole lot of other stuff, but this pretty much sums it up. In heaven, in the new heaven that will descend down to this new earth where we will be united with God forever, it says the streets are gold and the gates are pearl. Two things that we prize. A pearl big enough to make a gate. Imagine what that would be worth. A pearl that large. And the thing that we have built our economic system on, the value of gold, the thing that we hold, that we hold dear, that we say, man, that, that is always going to be valuable because it's a, a rare kind of a commodity, this gold thing. God says, yeah, that's really, I didn't make that much of it, but in heaven, the streets are, that's what we walk on. It's the pathway that we walk on. The, the gate to get in and out, it's made of pearl. It's, it's really no big deal. It changes the way we look at wealth when we realize heavenly wealth is far, far greater, far, far better than earthly wealth. Number four, I want you to know in heaven you will receive a residence. A residence. <clears throat> Philippians 3, verse 18 says, for, for many live about whom I have often told you, and now with tears I tell you that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, and their end is destruction their lowercase g, God, is their belly. And they exult in their shame, and they think about earthly things. Now, he gives a contrast. He says in verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we also eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we got a home waiting for us. This is not our home. This is not our home. This is a stomping ground where we get to Decide where we will have our forever home. That's all earth is. Earth is the place where we get to decide where we spend our eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When we die, we have a home, a residence that's waiting for us. John chapter 14, we read it a few weeks ago. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in me, believe, believe in the Father, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that. But I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Sometimes we just get bogged down. We just get bogged down. Now, don't get me wrong. God created this earth, and it, there's still a resemblance of what it's supposed to be, okay? But it's a broken world. 
And, and we get bogged down in it. We feel the weight of it. We feel it when we think about COVID-19, corona, dun, dun, dun. Okay? We're just about over COVID, are we not? <laughs> I know, Mr. Porter, you are. Okay? We're over the COVID. Over it. Okay? And, 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 and you should, as a child of God, be praying, okay, Lord, you know, let them get the signal, you know. And I believe that's what it is. It's God's way of letting us know that, you know, the world's coming apart at the seams. So we're, oh, we get, but we get burdened down. We get worried about it. We, we get worried about a mask. Should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? He ain't wear a mask. She ain't wear a mask. I'm supposed to wear a mask. I'm going over here. I'm supposed to wear a mask. I can't come in unless I have a mask. I mean, who would have thought, you know, the only dealings most of us have ever had with a mask is a cheap plastic picture of the Hulk stuck on the front of our face at Halloween. And now we have to wear them all the time. Or if we work in an industrial environment where we have to wear them as a respirator, as a, as a filter for the air. Okay, and now it's a mask. It's a big deal. Mask is, the idea of mask has taken over our world. Who would have ever thought that we'd wash our hands until the fingerprints are gone? My hands are cleaner than they were when I came out of the womb, okay? I've never washed my hands like this. And, and so we get sideways, and then we turn on the news, and it doesn't get any better. We see anarchism and atheism and socialism and communism and every other ist and ism you can imagine. And we get weighed down, church, children of God, adopted into the kingdom of the Most High God in Jesus' name. I want you to know this is good news. This is not your forever home. This is just a temporary stomping ground, spinning around in circles, gliding around the sun in a universe that's rotating while we make our decision and prepare ourselves for our eternal home. That should encourage the believer. Number five, rewards. We don't like this one either. We, we don't like the idea. It kind of pushes back. Well, I don't want to live for Jesus because he's going to reward me because then it sounds like it's a, you know, I'm just doing it for the, for the reward. You can do it for whatever reason you want to do it. But I'm telling you, if you do it with a pure heart, motivated by God's calling upon your life, he is a rewarder of those who obey him. I'm telling you, he is. Now watch this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. Now on the surface you could say, well now pastor, you took that out of context. That's saying heaven is our reward and our reward will be when we are in heaven. Okay, okay. Let's don't stop there then. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 22 verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Well, now that just sounds kind of like Jesus is coming with a big sack full of rewards to reward those who have done what they're supposed to do. You know why it sounds like that? Because that's what it is. 
Jesus meant what he said. Jesus said what he meant. And that's what he's, I want to encourage you. Live boldly for Jesus in obedience to the calling that he has on your life. And he will reward your diligence and your faithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 8. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his labor. I just love that. Because it's talking about planting and picking and watering. We've had a garden in the past. I was raised gardening with four boys. My parents put in an acre garden. Of course they did. They had a little army to take care of it, and they needed to feed them. So we worked in the garden. So Kendra always wanted a garden. We've had gardens, and she wanted once I put in a garden this year. There's just something about working in a garden. It's hard. It's brutal. But it's something refreshing, something exciting about watching things come out of the ground. And our grandson Judson, he loves the garden. I mean, it's, he is obsessed with the garden every day. Papa wants to go to the garden. And he grabs his bucket and runs to the garden. He watches these tomatoes begin to ripen. And we have to tell him, I mean, he, don't get me wrong. He'll go out there. He'll come back with bell peppers just a little bigger than your thumb. Okay, I mean, because he's excited. Okay, so the other day, I, there was a, a tomato. The first tomato was turning red. And it was kind of that peachy colored orange. It wasn't ripe yet. He said, Papa, it's red. I said, no, it's not red. It's orange. It'll be red. He goes, Oh, when are you going to be wed? Okay. Now, there's something about gardening and growing. Now, listen, if you go out there and plant 100,000 different plants and you never get a bean or an ear of corn or a pepper or a tomato, I'm going to be willing to bet next year you're not going to put out a garden. There's something about receiving the produce of the labors. God knows that in his kingdom economy. He says, listen, serve and labor on my behalf and I will give you fruit. I will reward you for it. Bruce Maline writes this in his book about heaven and rewards. He says, every kingdom work, whether publicly performed or privately endeavored, partakes of the kingdom's imperishable character. Every honest intention, every stumbling word of witness, every resistance of temptation, every motion of repentance, every gesture of concern, every routine engagement, every motion of worship, every struggle toward obedience, every mumbled prayer, everything literally which flows out of our faith relationship with the ever-living one will find its place in the ever-living heavenly order which will dawn at his coming. I want you to know, church, how you live this life for Jesus affects how you will live your life with Jesus in heaven. Number six, in heaven, you will have your redeemer. You'll have your redeemer. The one who rescued you from the grips of the enemy, the one who reached down and invited you out of your lost condition, separated from him, 
you'll have him in heaven. Romans 9, verse 24 says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He's there. He's there. And when we get there, he'll be waiting for us to get there. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and 8 through 8 says, Therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that while we are home, at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Luke 23, 43, he told the thief on the cross, This day you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, God in the flesh, the one who has forgiven us, the one who lives, the one who stepped into a broken, fallen world and radically changed it forever. The one we testify of. The one we pray to. The one we celebrate at holidays. The one we find our hope and our future in. We will be with him and he will be with us in heaven. We have much to look forward to in heaven. And lastly, it's what I do. The last one is why I do what I do. The last one is the prayer. It is the heartbeat of my life. And it is this, that we can have a reservation in heaven. I get accused sometimes of preaching, of sharing a way to get saved too much. I had a, a man leave one time, told his family, I'm not going back to that church. They said, why? I said, I don't need to be told every week how I can be saved. I'm already saved. Well, knucklehead, I wasn't talking to you. Well, I might have been. Because the Bible says broad is the way to destruction. Narrow is the way that finds Christ. That, Jesus said most people are not going to heaven. I want everybody to go to heaven. I want you to look up here. I want every single one of you to go to heaven that whole relationship thing I want to spend eternity with you in heaven okay and if a week goes by which happened several years ago and I was got tired of sharing the gospel because I didn't see the fruit and I started looking at myself and a, and a week went by and I didn't share the gospel and the service was over and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, why did you not share the gospel? I said, because they're not responding. I guess they're all saved. I, I asked them to raise their hand. If they're saved, they all raise their hand. So I guess they're all saved. He said, you leave that to me. You just preach. Share the gospel. Don't worry about the fruit. You can't make fruit. I'm the fruit maker. You just preach. You do your part, I'll do my part. And so since then, every week, church, if you're here and you're a believer, when it comes time and I tell people how to be saved, you have a job to do. You pray for the person sitting next to you in the row in front of you, the row behind you, because they may not be saved yet. And when I'm sharing the gospel, you pray that the enemy is bound and the Holy Spirit will invite them into the kingdom. Okay? That's how we do this thing. Now listen, you have a, a reservation. Listen to what it says in Revelation 21, 27. It says, But nothing ritually unclean will ever enter into heaven nor anyone who does what is detestable or practices falsehood, but, contrast, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Nevertheless, 
Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name stands written in heaven. I was studying for this, and I ran across a, a, a part of a, a message from Dr. David Jeremiah. Most of you are familiar with him. He's from California, and he's a wonderful church, a wonderful teacher. I've been listening, listening to him since the 1980s. I would buy a cassette uh, cassettes from him series he, he just speaks into me I understand him but he says this talking about the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven he says a lady named Ruth Anna Metzger and her husband Roy were preparing for a wedding because Ruth Anna Metzger was a professional singer and she had been invited to sing at a very swanky posh wedding in Seattle Washington the reception was to be in the Columbia Towers, the tallest towers in all the Northwest. It was to be very exclusive. Now the wedding was over and Ruth Anna had sang her very best. She and Roy now traveled toward the Columbia Towers. They made their way to a large gathering room. A tuxedo-dressed maitre d' greeted them with hors d'oeuvres and drinks. And then they were provided access into the large room with everyone else. Soon after their arrival, a ribbon was cut at the base of a large, beautiful staircase. The wedding party was announced, and the reception dinner would soon begin, and they proceeded up the staircase, followed by the guest. Ruth Anna and Roy climbed the staircase along with all the others, and they were met by another maitre d' in a tuxedo who stood at the beautiful podium holding a large, bound book. He asked them, "'Your names, please.' She said, I am Ruth Anna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. He searched through the M's twice, but did not find the Metzgers listed. So he asked for a corrected spelling. She gave it again. Still, he looked to her, and he said, I'm very sorry, but your name is not in the book. Ruth Anna said, well, there, there must be a mistake. I was the singer at the wedding. I received an invitation to the reception, but the maitre d' responded that he was very sorry, it did not matter what she had done. Their names were not in the book, and they could not come in and join the dinner. At that time, the maitre d' motioned to another attendant to come over, and he was instructed to take them to the service elevator. They were escorted by beautiful tables of food, including smoked salmon, an assortment of fine seafood and steak, beautiful displays of fresh green vegetables, and an array of brilliantly colored fruit covered table after table as they proceeded toward the elevator a band wearing white tuxedos sat positioned and postured to begin to play the evening's music they arrived at the service elevator where they were escorted in and the attendant reached in and pressed G for parking garage Ruth Anna and Roy got in their car and they headed home and as they traveled Roy took Ruth Anna by the hand and he said I'm sorry that happened I wonder why it happened that way. Ruth Anna looked at her husband and she said, I think I know. During all the busyness of the last few months, I did receive an invitation and I was scheduled to sing. But in the busyness of the time, I never sent in my RSVP. And she said in that moment, she realized, just like she had been invited to the wedding, she never responded. And it dawned on her, 
The world is full of people that have been invited to the most significant thing in all of eternity. And yet most people, many people, have not responded to that great invitation. I want you to join me as we pray. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. I, I will ask you a very simple question. Are you certain that today Jesus has adopted you into his Father's kingdom? Today, would you say with certainty that if this was your last day on this planet, you would spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? Or is there a doubt or a concern or something that just seems to haunt you that you labor over? If you're here today and you feel like you need to be saved on this day, would you simply raise your hand so I can see it? I just want to pray for you and help you know that. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If that's you today, I would encourage you to simply say in your own words to God who created you, Father, I believe in this moment you are inviting me into your kingdom. In this moment, you see me for who I am. Every sin, every flaw, every bit of brokenness. But you see something greater. You see a soul that you want to rescue and change and invest in from this day forward. So, Father, I feel that call on my life. I'm stirred by it. I yield to it. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to give all of my brokenness in exchange for all of your perfection. I don't know why you would choose to love somebody like me, but I sure am glad that you do. Thank you for hearing my sinner's prayer. Thank you for saving me. Seal me with your spirit and help me live for you from this day throughout eternity. I pray it in Jesus' name. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.